This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with guitarist Steve Stevens. Steve, how are you? Great, Joe. It's good to, good to speak with you, man. You too. So your new album, Memory Crash, is fantastic. I've been loving it for you know a few days now since I got it. What were your uh, initial goals setting out in the uh, recording and the writing of it? Well, with some records, you just kind of sit down and you go, okay, I'm going to do a record and you, you know, you, you know, put together a bunch of songs and then you kind of at the end of it go, okay, there's my record. Um, but a couple of things coincided for me personally uh, at the time of doing this record. One is my uh, celebrating 40 years of actually picking up the guitar. Um, oh I started, yeah, started when I was like eight years old. And the other one was that the last Billy Idol record that I did, Devil's Playground, we spent about nine months on the road. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time for me to get to play a lot of countries that we had never played before, you know, Russia, Serbia, and Finland. And, and also, as part of that tour, we were on the Warped uh, tour. And I started to see an audience of kids that were really into guitar playing again and and not just three chord punk rock guitar playing more of the kind of virtuoso stuff we have you know an old billy idol song blue highway and during that i take an extended solo and i do all that silliness where i play behind my head and with my teeth and all that all that stuff Jimi hendrix did you know 35 years ago <laughs> um but these kids are freaking out about it and um, you know, starting to like, I'm starting to see clips on YouTube about it. Uh, and then someone hit me to the fact that there's all these young kids playing my Top Gun anthem on YouTube. Mm. And I just, I just got this feeling that, you know, the time was right to do a guitar instrumental record, but do it my way. And by that, I mean, not a shred record, not some sort of gymnastic event we, where after every solo you feel like you have to hold up scorecards or something. <laughs> you know, I've I've never done that kind of guitar record before, and I, and actually this is my first instrumental electric guitar record. So that was the kind of criteria for me, you know, to express myself on, on, on this instrument I've been playing for 40 years. And also hopefully give back the feeling that I had maybe when I was 13 or 14 year old kid when I was listening to, you know, some of the early English, you know, prog players. Uh, for me, it was, you know, Steve Howe and Robert Fripp and Steve Hackett. And, you know, then, then I got into some of the more obscure English prog bands like Gong and Hatfield and the North and Van de Graaff Generator. And, and with that music, uh, you know, musicians were, were allowed to explore them their musicality and um so that meant for me you know not abiding by typical song structure and not having to worry about the length of the songs you you mentioned the uh, the top gun anthem and the first track heavy horizon to me is very reminiscent of that song um, is that intentional it wasn't it wasn't intentional um i think maybe only in in the fact that it has a, a strong theme uh, a strong melody, you know, and that's what Top Gun is all about. It's just, you know, uh, sure, people like the solo section, but everybody remembers that guitar melody. Right. Um, in that song, and in a lot of um, a lot of the work on the album, the, the main guitar lines are uh, harmonized. Now, is that you double-tracking the guitar, or are you using a, an actual harmonizer? 
it's all me double tracking. Yeah. Wow. Well, very, uh, very diligent. To how, <laughs> that must take a while to, to work out. Yeah, especially for me because I'm I'm pretty much self-taught. So, you know, if I play, you know, I mean, I have some sense of theory, but I just have to go by my ear and what sounds right and not. Uh, I know someone like Steve Vai can sit down with a piece of paper w- without even the guitar in his hands and, and, and write out harmonies, you know, based against the melody or something, but I can't do that, so I got to do it by ear. The song uh, on the album, uh, Hellcats Take the Highway, you know, is one of those great, crushing guitar rock instrumentals. Is it hard to come up with a guitar song that can stand totally on its own? Well, the hard part is not, for me, the hard part is not the groove or the or the chord structure. The hard part is finding a uh, guitar melody that's interesting enough that, you're, that you don't miss having a singer on it. I would say for the majority of this record, that's how I went about doing it. I, I, I imagined that that center guitar, that melody guitar, really was the singer, and I tried to make it as expressive as, uh, say, some of the great singers that I've worked with. And obviously, you know, I'm a groove guitar player. I'm, I'm, my job with Billy Idol is, you know, 90% rhythm guitar, so the engine room of each song is, is going to be pretty strong to begin with. You have some um, pretty cool bits of uh, flamenco guitar on the record. Now, you've studied this genre pretty extensively. Yeah, but once again, pretty much self-taught, other than when I was an 11-year-old kid, I went away to a summer camp, and the, the teacher was a flamenco uh, guitarist, and he uh, he actually escaped the Nazis in the Second World War. Mm. He was a Romanian gypsy, and and his what what struck me as a kid was his passion for for the instrument. He felt that the guitar saved his life. I had had other guitar teachers before that who just seemed like kind of you know maybe never re- reached their their goal of being a successful working musician. And they always got this for me sense that they they, they you were on the time clock. And this was the first guitar teacher that I had that felt he had to bring something to people that he had a message to bring. And I think that's that's a tr- the sign of a, a true teacher in any in any genre, you know whether it's a university or a guitar teacher. On the uh, album, you cover uh, Robin Trower's uh, Day of the Eagle, uh, on which uh, Doug Pinnock of uh, King's X sings. What made you go with that song, and how did you come to work with Doug? The Robin Trower thing is just one of those classic rock songs that, once again, you know, there I am, 13, 14-year-old kid, I buy Bridge of Size, and I'm like, wow, this sounds great. And, uh, you know, it was another one of those headphone records that I'd listen to, like, you know, you know, Yes is Close to the Edge or Bridge of Size or Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And, and I always found that w- when I'm in soundcheck on the road, I always play a Robin Trower thing. And for some reason, those those kind of, those his, his tunes just sound really good in, in, in large spaces. So um, so I always wanted to do that song in... Uh, and I got a call from Magna Carta, my label, and and they said that Doug Pinnock, you know, wanted me to come guest on a track on his record. And we all started spinning in my head, and I said, "Well, well, maybe we can make a trade here." You know? Oh, okay. And uh, so while we were in the studio, I went in to do the track on Doug's record, and I said, "Hey, you know, would you be up for doing this Robin Trower tune?" And lo and behold, uh, you know, at the end of the evening, we uh, we just cut that live in the studio. You know, Doug downloaded the lyrics off the internet, and, and um, we kept it pretty faithful to the original, and, uh, and I, I think he did a fantastic job. 
let's go back to uh, some of your early days. You attended the uh, Fiorello uh, LaGuardia High School of Performing Arts, and you were a music major. What were your goals at that point? I mean, was it was it to be a guitar hero, quote unquote, or were you looking to do something else in music? I was just looking to get better as a musician. A lot of the courses in that school involved music history, and I got to I got to you know learn about Vivaldi and some of these uh, you know classical composers that. You hear the names or you know the music, but you, you don't necessarily know the life story. The only unfortunate thing for me was that I was accepted into this school on guitar, but guitar is not a symphonic instrument. So um, I was then asked to pick up another instrument, uh, and uh, I thought, well, what's the closest thing to a guitar? Oh, a viola. <laughs> you know, and I am absolutely the worst viola player you could ever want to hear. So my music classes were in the morning, and the academic classes are in the evening, and and uh, the school's on 46th Street. And you know it's on 48th Street, all those music stores. So absolutely, I'd leave for my lunch hour, and I'd never go back to class because I'd be in Manny's Music trying out every pedal, you know, they had, or friends with some of the guys at Rudy's Music, and um, that became as much part of my education as uh, as anything else. So were you considered kind of like a freak at school, or, or were there other uh, types like you? No, I mean, that was the cool thing about that school. There was a lot of the freaks like me, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, we didn't even have a gym gym class there. It was the, the original school, which is, is now, I believe, a museum, but the original school was a maritime training school, so they designed the hallways to be as narrow as being on a ship. Wow. <laughs> so it was a little claustrophobic being in there, and kind of drove the kids a little, little nutty but um but i met i met some really cool students a lot of you know other rocker kids and, and there was one kid in, in particular who uh who had gone to the mercer art center and uh and he, he brought me down there we hung out in the city all night after school and and i went down and saw some bands and eventually uh um you know came to realize that my education really was 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 in the clubs and it wasn't it wasn't what i was being taught in uh, in high school. Before you hooked up with Billy Idol, um, I know you were in a band that recorded at uh, Chris Blackwell's studio in the Bahamas where you would meet uh, the singer Robert Palmer, who you eventually recorded with. What are your memories of, of Robert? It, it, you know, I mean, I knew Robert for so many, you know, for decades because years before recording with Billy Idol, yeah, I went down with my band, The Fine Malibus, to, uh, to the Bahamas, to Compass Point Studios. Uh, and we went down with uh, Jimmy Miller, the producer of the Rolling Stones. And the record was never released, but lo and behold, you know, in walks Robert Palmer, who lives across the street from the studio. And he heard us, you know, recording, and he pulled me aside, and he said, you know, you're, you're a great guitar player, man. It may not happen for you with this band, but, but you've got something really special. And he asked me to go uh, re- help him record some demos across the street, and uh, and we did that. And he started playing me some James Brown things, and and we became friends. And uh, and every time he passed through through New York, he'd um, he'd uh, give me a call. And um, and eventually, uh, you know, when I joined Billy Idol, we we stayed in contact. And then uh, when we when Billy and I were recording uh, Whiplash Smile was when Robert was doing the Power Station. Right. So we spent a lot of time together during that, and um, and just maintained our friendship. And then finally, I got the call to go record uh, his record, uh, "Don't Explain," which was uh, 
recorded while he was living in Milan, Italy. To this day, one of the most enjoyable album sessions that I had ever done. And uh, he was the ultimate host and just a really cool guy. And, you know, for me to be in the studio with a guy who had played all those same clubs with, you know, Beck and Page and and uh, and recalled, uh, you know, the first time he saw Hendrix and hanging out and jamming with Hendrix and, you know, that, that point of reference, you know, I just soaked that stuff up. Yeah. He was a very eclectic musical guy. And really knowledgeable about music, you know, um, especially jazz. You know, huge Miles Davis fan. And it was challenging working with him because he knew all the notes and chords, you know? Yeah. <laughs> If a, if a passage came up and you know he said, oh, "Well, can you play a flat nine to you know this?" Spend I was like, "Robert, I don't know what you're." And he'd pick up the guitar and, and show me, you know. So uh, really, 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 uh, uh, an incredible guy and humble beyond humble. Back to the time when you joined Billy Idol, being that you were a very serious uh, music student. Was it considered something of a slap in the face to some of your colleagues when you hooked up with Billy Idol? I'm thinking, you know, punk rock at the time, while it was increasing in its audience share, might have been still looked down upon by, you know, serious musicians. You know, in all honesty, you know, I was working with a guy who had a record deal, and we were going to make a record. And, you know, all my serious so-called musician friends, you know, could say all they want from from the basement of their parents' house. <laughs> but I was, you know, I, you know, I was, uh, re, uh, you know, from the time I joined Billy, the, the agenda was to write some songs and rehearse our band and head to Los Angeles to record our, our, our his first, uh, his first solo record. And I just felt it, uh, you know, a challenge. Billy wasn't looking to recreate Generation X. He certainly wouldn't have hired me if that was the case. He was looking to move into other areas, and 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 it was challenging in a in a totally different way. Um, you know, I was being asked to create guitar textures and and things well beyond just the notes. So that can be more difficult sometimes than than you know trying to play a Randy Rhodes solo or something. So Billy was very uh, receptive to your musical input. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it was. It, it, it was, and it still is to this day, a give-and-take situation where, you know, I'll throw out the ultimate, and and we'll, we had an expression called the punk police. The punk police would come in and and uh, and find the root of what I was doing and try and say the most with the least amount of notes, and, and there's something to be said for that, you know. There are certainly guitars that I that I hear that I, I think could do with a little bit of self-editing. <laughs> you, you speak in the present tense, so what is the working relationship with you and Billy these days? Um, we just finished uh, a couple of new tracks for a, uh, a Greatest Hits record. So um, with the state of record labels, the way the way they are right now, Billy's uh, ended up over at EMI, and they're going to re-release the Greatest Hits uh, with some new stuff on it, and um, and we head out on the road to tour that in June. So yeah. it's a so it's an ongoing thing. Yeah, I mean we've uh, you know we've worked consistently together since I moved to Los Angeles, um, and uh, somehow we make it work. You know, it's a we're, we're vastly different people, but we we respect each other. I think that's that's where it comes from. You know, I really genuinely love the guy, and I think he's got a big heart. You know, you're lucky to find 
either in, in, in musical terms or in marriage or in family terms. You're, you're lucky to find somebody that you can have a, a relationship with after 25 years. And, um, and I, I think the fans that come see us, certainly the, the you know, long-standing fans that now bring their kids and stuff, it, 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 it means so much to them uh, because they see these two guys on stage that have, that have outlived, you know, in some cases they're, you know, they've lost family members or, or their marriage has crumbled, but, but we're still there, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's a, you know, and I, and I honor that. I, I, I take that very seriously. You've played and endorsed uh, a few different guitars, uh, in your career, but, uh, now you're using less balls pretty much. Is that, is that right? Yeah, um, with Memory Crash, it's 90% less Pauls, <clears throat> with the exception of uh, John Sir guitars. You know, it's just a guitar I started on. I got my first Les Paul when I was uh, 15, and um, I'm really comfortable on it. Um, and it's still a guitar. It's, it's just a rock and roll guitar for me, you know. I'm not exactly a... Uh, a, a man of large stature, so <laughs> it's a small-bodied guitar. You know, if I was up there with a, you know, a Gibson 175, you probably wouldn't see me behind it. <laughs> so, uh, so Les Paul's been good to me, you know, and um, and I, I I have a lot of them, so I play them. <laughs> we have some reader questions that I'd like sure. to ask of you. A reader named Basher asks, "You have a cool ray gun sound. Uh, what's the story behind that?" Yeah, they, you know, when I uh, got my first apartment in New York, there was a store that was open uh, 24 hours, believe it or not, in Little Italy that sold toy ray guns and robots and, and uh, tin toys and things from China. Um, so I started collecting these silly ray, ray guns and stuff. And um, we were in the studio recording Rebel Yell, and I remember saying we needed something really sonically incredible to happen in my solo. It couldn't just be about a guitar solo. I remember I brought in, we had cut the track and I brought in Spectrum, the Billy Cobham record. Mm -hmm. And I played Keith Forsey, our producer, uh, one of Tommy Boland's solos. And in that solo, he goes wild on the Echoplex. And I said, I need to do something like that in this solo where just, yeah, it's a guitar, but it's something that just takes over. And uh, and we we started you know linking effects together and they sounded okay and sounded okay and uh, and finally I said you know what I, I, I'm going to go home and the studio wasn't far from my apartment and I brought back you know a couple of these toys and and I just kind of like turned one on and played it by the guitar and and damn near was sounding incredible mm -hmm. so uh, so uh, that became the you know the the uh, the ray gun guitar thing and then I got into doctoring them and opening them up and realizing you could vary the rate of them and um, it, uh, it just became a cool thing a uh, reader named uh, John Boy Rob says um, you are usually known as Billy Idol's ex-guitarist well I guess not ex-guitarist but um, anyway he asked uh, do you ever get fed up with the tag nah you know I'm, I'm I just, I just, not, I, you know, I'm okay with that. And 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 here's here's the the flip side of it is that by being a sideman, it's also allowed me the comfort of working with so many different artists, from Rico Kasich to the Thompson Twins to even uh, Pink, uh, you know. Or and if I was a member of the band, then the other guys in the band have a say over that. 
and I know, uh, you know, when Slash goes off and does something, you hear grumblings from the other guys in the band. Ah, you know, he's going to do a session with that. You know, and it's like, I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. I'm certainly compensated financially as a as a partner in, in things, and uh, and uh, and Billy's fair in that way, and, and and we do good business together. And I'm never frustrated by. I, I, I've seen the amount of scrutiny in his life, and I, I wouldn't be comfortable comfortable with that stuff it's just not in my i'm a pretty private person so it works for me a reader named downfader asks who would win in a fight between billy and yourself (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous (laughs) i don't know man i fight pretty dirty so (laughs) so i don't know but billy works out every day so you know if he caught me with a good fucking left hook you know (laughs) Be over. <laughs> okay. Um, Elvis II says, uh, I saw a video of you and Billy doing White Wedding, and you carry the whole song on an, on an acoustic guitar. Um, sure. Were any of those songs written on acoustics? All of them. Oh. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. And, and, and to this day, Memory Crash, all mm-hmm. written on acoustic guitar. Wow. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I sit down with the recorder. It's kind of caveman style, you know. Uh, I have a little, little, you know, dictaphone thing and I sit there with my acoustic guitar and, and if a song or an idea or, or a melody uh, works on an acoustic then I know I can blow it up into Technicolor but if it ain't going to work on an acoustic it's it's you know I, it, I don't believe it's uh, it's it's worth even, even pursuing so yeah all of those things started on acoustic Guitar Geek 62 uh, says uh, personally the tones on the White Wedding and Rebel Yell are uh are one of my favorites for a good versatile rhythm lead sound. What did mm-hmm. you What did you use to record them? Well, before I joined Billy, I traded actually my I built I built pedal boards for people, hmm. and I built a pedal board for a guy in New York, and he traded me a Marshall head and cabinet for it, and it's a 1970 super lead. And um, I still use it to this day. I actually used it a lot on Memory Crash. But that's, that's the amp that I recorded uh, first Billy Idol record with, uh, and certainly Rebel Yell with. So, uh, and they're, uh, they're all 25-watt uh, Celestian speakers in that cabinet. A reader named Rabbit Rabbit asks, Did you write all the guitar parts for the Top Gun theme yourself? Were you given a brief to create a soundtrack to the greatest high-five giving moment in history? Um, I didn't write the parts. The, those parts were, were written by Hal, Harold Faltermeyer, um, who scored the film. And uh, we spent one evening working on that. Harold had come in to play keyboards on, uh, on Whiplash Mile. He was a, a friend of Keith Forsey's. And said, uh, hey, I'm working on this, this Top Gun movie. You, would you care to work on it? And... Um, he showed me a bit of footage of it, which at that time was pretty state-of-the-art, and um, and then we put up the multi-track, and he had a little guide guitar part that I think was recorded with a rock man, but the melody was there, and he said, Ex- you know, expand on this melody, but the melody is, is the king, so we've got to make sure that that's there. And then obviously the middle section with all the solos I constructed myself. There was no there was no solo section before that, and uh, and some of the rhythm guitar stuff we added later. And uh, but that's Harold Fultemeyer's baby. He he wrote wrote and produced it. 
And probably the most uh, important question uh, of all comes from uh, somebody named Imported Carlos Presents. And he asks, what hair products do you use? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I, you know, you could ask me what nail polish. But <laughs> with it. Um, actually, I used to, you know, back in the day, you know, when I had the jumbo hair, uh, I, you know, it was Aquanet. I probably depleted some of the ozone on that, but uh, but oddly enough, I play I play in a in, a, in an all star uh, sort of punk rock band called Camp Freddy, and uh, Dave Navarro's in that, and Matt Sorum, and uh, and there's a whole cast of revolving. My my good buddy Billy Morrison is in it, um, and I did a Camp Freddy show, and Bedhead had sponsored it, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, you know, my uh, my fiance is a makeup artist, so I said, "Hey, we should hook up with Bedhead because we could save a lot of money." So I use Bedhead products. <laughs> there I am endorsing Bedhead. Well, and you brought it up. So what what kind of nail polish do you use? Oh, I don't know. It's always black. That's all I know. It's always <laughs> black, and it's usually the, the, the cheapest crap that I can find. Well, thank you very much, Steve. This has been really great. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Absolutely. You were always, you know, back in the back in the New York days. You were really supportive, man, and uh, it was always a pleasure to to do stuff with you. Absolutely. Well, the, the feelings mutual, man. This is Joe Basso from Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I've been speaking with Steve Stevens. Steve, you take care, man. Okay, thanks, Joe. And sorry about the the late the late call here. I just I couldn't I, you know I couldn't find my phone anywhere. I I you know. My, my girl and I went away to Palm Springs for three days. And we left the computers home, and I said, I'm going to bring the phone, but I'm going to put it in my suitcase, and I'm not going to deal with it. And, yeah, there there it was. 